Let's go. Go to Luke chapter 8. If you remember, let me give you a quick update. We were reading from Luke chapter 7, the story where um, the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus and say, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus responds to them. He heals and does a bunch of that uh, stuff. Um, And then he speaks about the Pharisees and he says, you guys, he says, you're like children in the marketplace. It doesn't matter what we do. You're not happy with it. And then, of course, Simon the Pharisee asks him to come over to his house And the woman comes in in the middle and interrupts everything. And Jesus talks about uh, the woman and what she did. And uh, so we've we've talked about the perspectives. The first perspective was John's. John, Jesus said of John, blessed is he who's not offended in me. Meaning that John either was already offended or he was about to get offended. Why? Because John was expecting Jesus to do what John thought he would do through his revelational lens. John's was Elijah and fire and all that kind of stuff. And when Jesus wasn't doing that, John got offended and said, are you the coming one? And you have to remember, he's the guy that said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Oftentimes in our lives, we can get a revelation of something about Jesus, but two years later when we're going through a hard time, we begin to doubt in the darkness what we saw in the light. Don't doubt in the darkness what you saw in the light. Walk in that light that you have and the light will change the darkness. But again, John's offense was offense by assumption. Well, I just assumed God was going to do it this way. Don't do that. Don't assume. He'll do it different every time. The perspective of the Pharisees who wouldn't listen to anything Jesus did was, we're always right. The Pharisees had substituted their legalism and judgment for compassion. They got rid of compassion because the law said this, and if somebody's not abiding by the law, and I made this statement, whenever you focus on someone else's sin, it will cause you to move in judgment rather than compassion. Do people have sin? Yeah, all you gotta do is go online right now and look in the world. There's everything that, everything that is goes out there right now. Don't focus on the sin. And you know what? That's even a good thing for you and I with ourselves. I've said it so many times over the years. When you sin, don't run from God, run to him. When you sin, turn around and go, Lord, oh, I ask your forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9, and I confess that sin and I thank you that you cleanse me right now. I receive that cleansing by faith. That's the hardest thing to do is to receive your cleansing right there. God doesn't want that sin hanging on to you any more than you do. So confess it, believe and stand on it whether you feel like it or not. The forgiveness of our sins isn't contingent on whether you feel forgiven. Have you ever noticed that with your marriage? The fact that you love your husband and wife isn't contingent on how you may feel. Can I get at least one? How do you feel after you've just had a discussion? A heated discussion, right? You're playing, why doesn't she ever listen? I'm right. Why is he so stubborn? Right? So it doesn't depend. It's the same thing with sin and with with forgiveness. We walk in forgiveness by choice. We stand on that forgiveness. You forgave me. You dealt with my sin at the cross. I, I repent for doing it. I confess it and I ask your forgiveness and I receive that forgiveness right now. I choose to receive forgiveness by faith. Amen. That's free for whoever needed that this morning. That wasn't even part of my note. Okay. Then the woman comes. She's the third perspective. And the woman, her perspective is extreme gratitude and deep affection. It's an interesting thing. I had never seen this in this scripture before studying it for for ministering it here this, this few weeks. But this woman came and just lavished her affection on Jesus, her humility over overwhelmed her shame, her rejection, and all those things that she would have had walking into the house of a Pharisee. Everybody knew she was an unclean woman. Tradition tells us she was a prostitute, and some say that this was Mary Magdalene, but what she'd been touched by Jesus, either by preaching or ministry or something, she got touched by him. She was so overwhelmed by the change in her life that she came right into the Pharisee's house, right into the living room where they were eating dinner, and began to lavish her tears upon him, weeping so hard that there was enough tears to wash his feet. 
Okay, so she's just messed up the whole situation here. And what's really interesting about this is she has a profound spiritual experience. Her sins get forgiven. She didn't make a confession of sin. She didn't ask for forgiveness for her sin, which is what you and I think automatically we have to do. But there's something in the heart that's greater than that. And when she expressed that with her humility and her gratitude, Jesus said, because of the act that you've done, your sins are forgiven. The next perspective was Simon the Pharisee. And Simon's perspective was judgment. Because he was focused on the law and on sin, which we tend to do as religious people, we begin to focus on what's wrong with other people. Right? Because of that, and Simon's perspective was one of judgment. Because I know the scriptures and I know what kind of person I am, I am allowed to judge you. Very interesting. Jesus, who is the judge, never judged one person when he was here. He even said, I didn't come to judge. Look up at me for a minute. If he didn't come to judge, and we're still in the age of grace, then we're not here to judge either. I'm telling you guys, there's, there's ministers that I know of that are Christians. They're born again. They're genuinely born again. But for me, what they preach is just judgmentalism and criticism all the time. But you know what I won't do? I won't stand up here and name them and, give their, give and, and say all the things that are wrong with them because then I'm going to get in the same boat. The Bible says that what I have a right as a pastor to tell you about wrong doctrine or wrong people is bad fruit. People have asked me, what about Brother So-and-So's ministry is coming to town? And when I've had experience with Brother So-and-So, all I can say is bad fruit. Well, what does that mean? Bad fruit. Well, like what actually happened? Bad fruit. And you know what? Because we so long to justify our position, you know? You so want to say, well, you know, really what happened? I mean, I saw blah, 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 blah. And then the Lord's like, Psh! because he says, I judge no one. That means you and I don't judge either. Okay, so his perspective was one of judgment. <clears throat> and I wonder how often we miss something God is doing in someone else's life because we sit in the seat of judgment rather than the seat of mercy. Always remember, function from the mercy seat. We were in a meeting one time, um, and uh, Patricia King was here, a number of other pastors, the place was full, and one lady uh, who was a pastor got up and she said, you know, she was praying and she was frustrated with uh, the hard-heartedness and hard-headedness of pastors in Calgary. You know, and, and we are sort of that way sometimes, occasionally. Never here, but some places are. And she... Uh, she, I can say that because my wife's not here to contradict it. She, she got up and she said, um, and Lord, we ask that you just break the hard hearts of the pastors in the city. And Patricia got right up and said, no, we don't pray that. And she stopped. The lady stopped. She said, we always pray from the mercy seat that God will have mercy on their hearts because it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I'm never going to get up and say that. I don't want to get rebuked in front of the whole crowd, but it was important for that to happen. And they, they knew each other. So it wasn't just a, but, but it was, it was significant enough that I thought, wow, we're not supposed to pray. God deal with the darn pastors in this city. You know, maybe you were, maybe you went to one, you know, and got offended or got hurt or whatever like that. Well, my church, you know, they don't believe in this and this and this, and it's a dead church and they ought to da, da, da. If, if that's your posture, then you've got to ask God forgiveness for the posture of your heart in not forgiving them and letting them be. Let me, let me help you with something. It's, uh, Rick Joyner said this in one of his books and it was just really pertinent. He, he talked about the mountain of God. And he said on the mountain of God, there was all these different levels. And he said on the first level were people that were pulling, pulling people out of, in the picture was a vision, out of the valley of death. They were just pulling people up to the first level. And he said he started to talk with them and tell them, didn't you know that there's more levels? Like, did you guys ever want to go up higher? Like, there's some really cool things up. <clears throat> there's some amazing things. And they're like, nope, 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 we don't believe that. This is what God's called us to do. And he, he, he was thinking, 
How can they not know that there's other levels? And so he kept climbing the mountain. And he went, and the, the principle is this, that when he got mad at them, or was upset with them, is a better way to say it, the Lord spoke to him and said, son, I've got people at every level so that anyone in the world can come in at one level. He said, you're judging them because they only have the salvation gate. But he said, you can't judge them because you need to let them walk in what they're called to be and what they're called to do. And that helped me because I looked at the churches in the city, you know, and you look at somebody like um, uh, Henry Shore at, at the, biggest, the biggest church in Canada now, they say, here in our city, I forget the name, Center Street, Center Street Church, great church. I was at a wedding there. <clears throat> and a funeral. And I remember walking into there and their foyer is bigger than our building. I thought, I like this place already. It's huge. It's like, it's, it's grand. It's wonderful. Well, they have a calling there. They have a calling to do something. It's a sheep gate. They get people saved, yeah. right? But, but for me to turn around and get mad at Center Street and say, well, bless God, they, you know, they, don't, they don't pursue talking in tongues and all that kind of stuff. I am so far past all of that. And the thing that, that helped me and set me free several years ago was realizing that um, if you look at the old city of Jerusalem and you look at the gates in Nehemiah, it lists all the different gates. Those gates are a prophetic type of what the body of Christ is like for people to come in. There's a fish gate. What's that? It's a salvation gate. There's a horse gate. What's that? That's where the warriors were. There's a water gate. And it's not what some of you think that are old and, and watched the movie years ago. Right? It's where the water flows. It's where the water would come in. It's a prophetic church. <clears throat> There's a dung gate. That's where they carried the poop out of the city and dumped it out into the valley. <clears throat> There's a kind of church. That's part of that. Part of that. I digress here a bit, but that's part of the call of intercessors. Intercessors have to keep the, keep the plumbing. The plumbing. Intercessors have to keep the pipes clean and the poop out of the pipes in the plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it, so anyways, there's a number of different gates. And, it, and it, it allowed me to say, okay, Lord, what are we? And what kind of gate are we? And focus on what our gate is. We will never be a Center Street Church. And they won't ever be us. Unless a massive revival hits and, and like everybody starts getting slain in the spirit and all that kind of stuff, right? And we're believing God for that. We're, we're, we've seen it. We've, we've been in it where people got healed and touched and, and radically touched by God lying on the altar for three hours and they get up and, and their chronic depression is gone. You know, we've seen that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but it helped me to let everybody minister where they are. And something that goes along with that, don't compare. Don't compare our church with another church. All you'll do is come up with the differences and then you judge well, they don't do this like we do, or this church does this too much and we just, no, you gotta find out where you're called and go where you're called. And once you find out where you're called, go there and stay there. Yes. Don't go for 18 months and then go somewhere else. Well, the Lord called me here. And then 18 months later, well, the Lord called me here. I, some people have told me that so many times. I thought the Lord they serve is schizophrenic. <laughs> now, did you find Luke 8 yet? Luke 8. Verse 16, let's pick up with this principle. We've been talking about perspective, and I asked you this question last week. What creates perspective? How have you developed the way you see things? Because the way you see things will determine whether or not you see truth or you see untruth. A great example is prejudice. If you see things through a, pre a prejudice lens, then it doesn't matter what happens in your life, you will judge people according to their color. Well, that guy's this, well, that guy's that. And you will filter all information from them or about them through the filter of prejudice, right? So that's an untruth. So look, let's look at how Jesus talked about this. Luke 8, verse 16. No one, when he's lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. Nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, and look at what he says, take heed how you hear, not what. Take heed how you hear. For whoever has, I love this sentence. We're gonna break this sentence down this morning. For whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken from him. 
So in the context here in Luke 8, he's just finished the parable of the sower sowing the word and the four types of soil that the word is sown into, which is the human heart, right? So you look at that soil, the sower sows the word in the first one, the seed is scattered on the top, the birds come and take it. The second one, uh, the thorns grow up, the third one, uh, etc. the weeds kill it. So he's talking about your heart. So here's the, the, the sower. I'm the sower this morning. I'm scattering the seed of the word. Everybody has a different kind of heart into how you receive. Somebody that's brand new saved, this is like walking into a new kingdom. It's like, whoa, this changes everything. For those of us, listen to me, this is, you're going you're to appreciate this. this. This challenged me. I believe I heard Kenneth Copeland say this like 20, 30 years ago. He said, every time somebody opens the word of God and speaks from it, you can get something from it. If you'll put a pull on Holy Spirit. I want you to, to uh, know something that I never say. Turn to this scripture. Everybody knows it. I never say that. I won't even say that with John 3.16. You know why? Because we don't know it. There's a thousand layers in that one scripture because the word of God is forever. It, 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 I mean, how many of you have been reading your Bible and the same scripture you've read for years and years and years and you read it and one morning it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Right? You see something. Why? Because the Lord just pulled back another layer. The word is God. So the word is eternal. So I don't get up and say, John three sixteen. I know everybody knows this scripture. No, they don't. Because you can be halfway through that scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes, you know what the actual word is? Whosoever believes into him shall not perish and have everlasting life. So you believe into him. When you believe into him, you're put in Christ. When you're in Christ, your whole perspective on life changes because I'm not in Craig anymore. I'm not drawing the strength of my life from Craig. I'm drawing it from Christ. So the word into, which is the correct word there, whosoever believes into him shall not perish. Right there in the beginning, Jesus is talking about, I'm going to be putting you people in Christ. I'm going to be putting you inside of me. There's a thousand layers underneath every scripture. When you come in on Sunday, don't sit there and, oh, I've heard this scripture. Oh, he's talking about this again. I'm just going to say it. You determine... What comes out of me on Sunday morning? Oh, come on. Or out of him, yeah. or out of him. Right. <laughs> come on, don't look so holy. You determine what you get. Why? Because your perspective determines what you hear, and your perspective determines how you hear. Now, it's our job to study. As a workman to show ourselves to prove. It's our job to get into the word and to get revelation. It's our job to find out what is heaven saying to Southside right now, to Calgary right now, to Canada. What's heaven saying to the church right now? I'll give you a for instance. We realized we heard people saying in, in the summer and fall of 2022 that 2023 is going to be a year of transition, massive transition in getting ready for 2024 where things are going to move ahead, both bad and good. The devil's going to try and do some more bad stuff as we get into the fall of this year. I'm hearing rumors about, oh, there's another strain of COVID coming around. Oh, they're going to start putting restrictions and masks on everybody. And I thought, oh, for heaven's sake, we fought it before, we'll fight it again. Why? Because people... Will get sick? No, not because people will get sick. Some people will get sick if they release another. But, but the, the lie that's behind it that says everything's going to change and the whole world's changing and, you know, we all need your digital ID and all that stuff that we've talked about before. So perspective of what you come in with and what you come in expecting on Sunday morning to a large degree can determine what comes out of what's here at the front. Because the Lord wants to minister. It's been interesting to me since we started the two services how different the two services are. Because the needs and the direction, the perspective, the hunger of the congregation is different. You guys tend to get more teaching, teaching, teaching. The second service, there tends to be, uh, because everybody, you know, the worship team's gone through it once. They're, they're, they're pumped, you know, and uh, everybody that's working ourselves as pastors, you come in, you go through a half an hour of prayer. For those of you that don't know and want to join us, we have prayer every Sunday morning in that room at 8 o'clock. We call it the prayer furnace. 
It's almost full now. So if a whole bunch of you come, we'll have to move it out here. But I, I, some of you may not know that. We just get in there and we just pray in the spirit. And just, why? We pray in the spirit for you. We pray in the spirit so that there's a grace for those that come in on Sunday morning who maybe have had a terrible week or maybe you're depressed or maybe you're fearful or maybe you're going. So we pray to create an atmosphere so that when you walk in, there's already freedom in the place that you can go, oh, and your burdens can be lifted. But if you're a prayer and you want to pray, then come on Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. We go from 8 to 8.20. That's all it is, just a, a, a hard-hitting prayer furnace. But you tend to get a little bit more teaching. But by the time we get to the second service, I've gone through prayer and then worship and then preaching and then a quick snack and then, and then worship and then back up and preaching. When I get up to go the second time, I'm already there, boy. I mean, it's just you get up and say, woohoo, here we go. And the Spirit often uses that to make it a little bit easier. Uh, all of that to say, don't come in the second service. Some of you are like, oh, really? I'm coming second service. No, don't. There's no more room in second service. So he's just finished the parable of the sower sowing the word, the four types of soil. Now listen, let me explain. The lamp he's talking about here is the revelation of the word that you've received that changes your life. A lamp is lit. Light comes on the inside. You see something that you never saw before. And what you walk in, either truth or untruth, will be known and come to the light. First of all, for you, but then also for others. Let me read it from the Passion Translation, and you'll see uh, what I mean. No one lights a lamp and then hides it, covering it over or putting it where its light won't be seen. No, the lamp is placed on a lampstand so others are able to benefit from its brightness. Because this revelation lamp now shines within you, nothing will be hidden from you. It will all be revealed. Every secret of the kingdom will be unveiled and out in the open made known by the revelation light. Is that good or is that good? That's because he said, I remember seeing that years ago. I'm, I, thought, I wish he'd have wrote it years ago, but I was studying this like, God, what's with the lamp thing? Like, how does this work? That, 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 and if you don't have it, even what you have gets taken away? That doesn't sound very nice. You know, you get to heaven and you got this little thing this big, you know, this little light of mine. God goes, yeah, actually that was wrong. <laughs> and you got nothing. That's not what we want because the Bible says we'll be judged according to works in the flesh. When works in the flesh are as a result of revelation in the heart. What you do in the flesh is a result of the revelation that's in your heart. The next sentence tells us how that happens. I gotta, I gotta do it again. So, no, the lamp is placed on a lampstand, so others, no, not there. Because this revelation lamp now shines within you, nothing will be hidden from you. In other words, you've accessed a flashlight that continues to open things up wherever you point it, you will see things that you didn't see before. Why? Because your perspective is right. Yes. Nothing will be hidden from you. It will all be revealed. Every secret of the kingdom will be unveiled and out in the open made known by the revelation light. And I would add that you now have. Okay, so the next sentence tells us how it happens. So pay careful attention to your hearts as you hear my teaching. For to those who have open hearts, even more revelation will be given to them until it overflows. For those who do not listen with open hearts, what little light they imagine to have will be taken away. Now, for the sake of those of you who might be new here or, or, or visiting, we, we need to be like the Bereans that take the word that's brought forth and study the scriptures to see if these things be so. I don't expect people to take everything that I say as that's the final fact. You know why? Because I'm human and I've only lived so many years and I only have so much truth. But the thing that we all have to do is take the word and dig in the word yourself. I've said this many times to our church over the years, but if you don't study the Bible, if the only revelation you get is what happens on Sunday morning, you're getting regurgitated word of God. Right? 
Remember the seagull with the little red spot on the side of his thing? And the, I remember, I'll never forget the videos we saw in elementary school with how seagulls feed their young. So they go and they eat the fish and everything, you know, and then they come back and they hold their mouth and the little baby seagull pecks the little red spot and the mom goes, and she barfs up these fish. And the little guys are just like, oh, this is the best. This is like pheasant under glass. Let's just eat it up. And, and the Lord brought that revelation to me one time. He said, if people don't spend time with me and read the word and get their own revelation, all they get is what you regurgitate. I'm painting the picture that way on purpose so that you'll go, ew, <laughs> and study the Bible for yourself. But when we preach something or I have somebody that comes here and preaches something, then take it and dig in and find out whether these things be so. It's what the Bereans did. So this particular sentence is used by Jesus a number of times. To him who has, more will be given. But to him who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Let's look at this in another place. Luke 11. You still here? You reading this in your own Bible? I always encourage people to bring a paper Bible. I, I, I preached from my paper Bible for years until they come up with these handy little rigs that I can put my scriptures in, I can put my notes in, I can highlight all the scriptures in red, certain things in blue, and it makes it really easy. Somebody got offended at me a while ago and said, I'm not preaching from the Bible. I was like, well, should I have a papyrus scroll up there? Because back then when they had the papyrus scroll, you know, that was their... Uh, you unroll that thing and then somebody went to flip pages and that changed the world again and now they've gone to this. Makes you wonder what we'll be preaching from in the millennium, don't Think about it. In the millennium, everything's gonna be powered by light. There'll be no waste. You won't have a carbon footprint. And the government in Jerusalem won't tax you for your carbon footprint. Hallelujah. <laughs> this is my little shot. I'm sorry, Lord. Luke eleven thirty three. No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, that those who come in may see the light. Now, here's where he breaks it down. See, watch what he, because he's talking about how you hear. And he, this is another place where he just finished speaking to a group of people and he challenged them. If you look at it in Luke 11, he's challenging these people. He's, he's straight up. He says, other guys, other generations are gonna, are gonna judge this generation because a greater than so-and-so is here because a greater than, and so he's speaking straight up. And then he goes right into this. The lamp of the body is the eye. So the lamp is the lamp, right? It's not a different lamp. It's the same lamp that we talked about before, the lamp of revelation. Are you here? Right? So the lamp is the way you see things. Or, according to what he said in the other one, how you hear. So the lamp is the way that you receive information. The kind of light that you're walking in. <clears throat> Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, or twisted, or prejudiced, or denominational, yada yada, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. What would be a good example of the light in you being dark? I already said it, prejudice, right? I grew up in white Canada. I grew up in Calgary where everyone was white. I remember when the first black family moved into our, our area and, and there was a black guy in school in grade seven. We all wanted to be his friend because it was the coolest thing. See, that's what, that's what I grew up. We didn't... I mean, we saw, we saw pictures of, of, of people and other Asians and Africans and, you know, uh, Europeans and, and primarily, but we grew up with, with that perspective. So I grew up with a very limited perspective compared to what you have today in Calgary. We have the nations, 
right? I mean, we got, it's in red and yellow, black and white, blue and purple, green and, you know, I mean, everybody, everybody's here now, which to me is the coolest thing. And I'll, I'll show you this here in a minute. So prejudice could be a light that's dark. Why? Because the light, as soon as you see something, everything from that thought in is now dark because it's been colored by your prejudice. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, the whole body will be full of light as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. So the passage is about the way you see things. And I said this to you before, to the degree that I see something incorrectly or different from God's perspective, I gotta say this and you you gotta hear it. To the degree that I see something incorrectly or different from God's perspective, I am unable to see truth. I'll give you a for instance. If my father was abusive as a child, if you had a father that, that you know, was drunk and would, would beat up your mom or beat you up, or even a father who just had a temper and would curse you out, and just then your perspective of authority figures is likely going to be overbearing and abusive irrespective of whether they are or not. Right? Because your father's your authority figure. It's created a perspective. And so when you go somewhere, until you deal with the darkness of that perspective, you will always have trouble dealing with authority figures because you'll see them as dangerous. They're abusive. They're going to hurt me. I can never open myself up to them. I can never give. I can never. I mean, no way. I'm always at arm's length. I've had people stay in this church for five, six, seven, eight years and keep me at arm's length in the spirit. I can feel it in the spirit. You can feel the distance in the spirit. Because they're just not comfortable. They're like, no, I've been hurt before. I've been hurt in church or I've been hurt with a. And you, I don't, you know, unless they open up, I don't find out. And I'm not saying that's good or bad and I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying it's been very interesting for me in almost 40 years of pastoring to go, oh, that person always stays an arm's length away in, in the spirit. It's hard to describe. How about this one? <clears throat> If I did poorly in grade school, I am likely to see myself as unintelligent and either let that follow me for the rest of my life and use it as an excuse or work so hard to to prove that I'm not dumb that I create a standard I can never measure up to. When I went through elementary school, I was a talker. Surprise, surprise. Who knew about the calling in elementary school, you know? Like, <clears throat> but, but I got on my report cards for years. Craig distracts others and is easily distracted. Did anybody else get that? I mean, somebody, please. Oh, thank God. Well, maybe you got better marks than me, but I went through those years. And, you know, when I graduated from high school, I think my average was about 64. Because in school, I struggled with math And in school, the interest that I had in learning and sitting in a desk for hours was torture. It was hard for me. But I came out of that thinking, you know what? I'm I'm not the brightest bulb in the room, so I'm just gonna have to see what I can do. And then I came back to the Lord at 19. And my hunger for the word pushed me into the word where I was reading the Bible for two to three hours every night and listening for for almost two years, just devouring the word. And what started to happen was the light started to come on on the inside. And I started to know things. And I started to get revelation on things. And I thought, I got to go to Bible school somewhere. I got to go. When we went to Bible school, I went at first with fear and trepidation because all my old programming was, you know, you don't do very good in class. You don't listen well, you know. And if you've ever tried to read my writing, it's tongues without the interpretation. <laughs> Kudos to, uh, to Liza and Marby and some of the girls in the office because they can actually read things when I write them down. Thank God for computers. I took typing in grade 10. There was 50 kids in the class. 48 of them were girls and there was me and my buddy. I learned to type in that class somehow. I don't remember because all the girls, we weren't there for the typing. We were there for the girls. But I went into Bible school and I had this thing on my shoulder that said, yeah, you know, you're only so smart. 
But my hunger for learning the word of God, I came out with straight A's and A pluses at the end of Bible school. And I thought to myself, I'm not dumb. I can think things through. I can work it out. And, and my perspective over those two years began to change from what I had developed in myself as a child in grade school. Because the one thing that the word of God will do, it'll change any wrong perspective that's in you. It'll change anything. The one thing that'll change any perspective is what's written in that book. And I started to say over myself, I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away, being dumb in math. And new things, everything's made new and all things are of God. I'm a new creation. I'm good at my math. I'm good at English. I'm good in Bible school. I'm good when I have to think. I'm good at my job. I changed all of that and turned it over into a confession that said I'm a new creation. All things are possible to me that believe and I believe now and I believe I can do this. And I used it in my jobs and I kept getting moved up in my jobs, not because I was smarter than anybody else, but because I kept declaring, God, you've made me one of your sons and as one of your sons, you're gonna move me forward into what you have for me and anything that comes my way, I can do it. Why? Because Christ is in me and I can do anything through Christ who's in me. When you start to believe that, God will do something with you. Like he'll take a schmuck and make you the, the ruler. He'll make you the leader. He'll give you the business. When you start to believe, it's not about, oh, look at me. It's about Christ in me, the hope of glory. Whoa, and God will give you answers in the night. Oh, Shabbat, Mukaraneda. So think about this. How do you hear? What's created the channels you learn by? Let's go back to something I'd like to touch on. Do you hear as a white Christian or a black Christian or an Asian Christian or a European Christian? I'm going to pick on you now, so just get ready. Every color, no matter what color you are, we got the same color blood and we got the same color Lord. Come on. You know what's the funny thing about the Jews? Have you ever noticed that? Jews can be every color in the world. They can be as, as white as a ghost or they can be as dark as the darkest black. They, the, the, the spectrum of the Jewish. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Jesus picked the color that's the whole variety, boy. I mean, whatever, you know, the whole. <clears throat> I think he's about the same color as me when I get tanned. <laughs> Some people are like, mm. you know what? Jesus ain't white. But he ain't black neither. Some of you going, Spanish. 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 Spanish, yeah. Espanol. Jesus is Espanol. Gloria a Dios. <laughs> now listen, because I want to, I'm talking about perspective. So let's get down to where some of our perspectives are. If you put any, if you're white believer, black believer, Asian believer, European believer, Whatever. If you put anything in front of believer, your perspective is going to be misaligned. Because in Christ, you're not white. And in Christ, you ain't black. Now just hang in with me. Some of you are like, ooh, he's on thin ice now. I am not a white Christian. I am a Christian who's born white, which is no different than a Christian who's born black. <laughs> some, of, some of you are thinking so hard, there's smoke coming out your ears. <laughs> it's like, Paul said it in Colossians. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. The Greeks considered, break this down, the Greeks considered any who didn't speak the Greek language as barbarians, meaning they were crude and unrefined. The Scythians were a warring nomadic people who migrated west across Europe from the region of Iran all the way over to Scotland, apparently, in the 9th and 8th centuries B.C., 
So what Paul's doing here is painting in broad strokes the nationalities of people that they were familiar with at that time. And he's saying, whatever you think you are, you ain't anymore. You're a Jew, you're not a Jew. Imagine how shocking that would be to somebody that's like, but that's my identity. I got the marks in my body. I got the little tassels. I got my bar mitzvah when I was 12. And he's saying to the Jews, you're not a Jew anymore. Do you know how, how that would mess them up? He was saying, all that Jewish stuff that you do, it was all nice, but it was all under the old covenant. And now it's you in Christ and Christ in you. It's Christ being formed in you that makes you who you are, not your Jewishness. That's why he had to write in Romans and Hebrews and talk to them about, look, you guys, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised doesn't make a hill of beans to God now because you've created your identity which creates your perspective out of something that you think earns God's blessing and Paul throws it all away and says you're not a Jew anymore and you're not a Greek and the Greeks prided themselves on their wisdom and on their philosophies with Plato and Aristotle and all those prided themselves on this, this amazing way of thinking. And Paul's saying to the Greeks where he had more fruit than he did amongst the Jews, you're not a Greek anymore. You can't identify, listen, you can't identify by what you know, by the wisdom that you think you have and your philosophy. I feel sorry for people that take philosophy. Um, philosophy doesn't, if Greek philosophy doesn't mess you up, nothing will. I mean, it, that is, they just, woo. It. Now, if you can filter out that which is true at, about the human condition and the way that we think and work and process, if you can filter that according to the word of God, then you actually have something that's added. But I've known of Christians who've gone into their philosophy class in university and lost their faith in the first two years because they were getting taught so much stuff about how this is the way the system works and this is who we are as humans and this is what we're becoming. Blah, 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 blah. I'm preaching way better than your amen in here. I've been telling you that right now. So Paul's painting in broad strokes saying this, none of these cultural identities should be as prominent as who you are in Christ. None of these cultural identities. I've said this before in here. I'm not a Canadian Christian. You're not a Filipino Christian. You're not an African Christian. If you put Africa before Christian, your perspective on who you are in Christ will be warped because you will see yourself as an African and you'll see everybody else through your Africanism or your Canadianism or your Filipinoism. Filipinism. Now, nah, forget that. Let me finish. In Galatians, he even goes so far to say, neither male nor female. <laughs> Try and see yourself in Christ that way. As a side journey here, can you see how the devil's trying to pervert that right now? By coming from the fleshly side where you don't know if you're a male or a female. He's trying to do exactly the opposite of what the word of God is teaching, that when you get in Christ, you become something that's bigger than the male and the female because in heaven, there ain't no males and females. Now, thank God, we'll still look male and female. You read after people that have been taken to heaven, they can tell that's a girl. But the significant physical attributes aren't there, but God created them male and female, even though in heaven you're not given in marriage and the, and the physical attributes aren't there the same. I gotta say this too. There's also racial distinctions in heaven. See, people get messed up. When I talk like this, people go, oh, you know, there's something about, there's something honorable about being white. Yep, there's something honorable about being black. Yep, there's something honorable about being Espanol. There's something honorable about being Asian or whatever, right? In all of those, why? Because it shows the expression of the variety of God. Because yes. we all came from the same mom and dad, everybody. Yes. Whether you got big eyes, little eyes, or slanted eyes, we all came from the same mom and dad, right? So I'm reading that one time and I said, okay, Lord, if we're all in Christ, then we all look the same in heaven. So, so, 
you gotta help me with that. Because there's, there's beauty in the, in the racial distinctions. And this scripture came up. And gathered before the throne was every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every people. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. So there's distinction before the throne in the tribe differences. There's distinction in the tongues. Those who spoke English, those who spoke Uruba, those who spoke Chinese, those who spoke Tagalog, those who spoke Espanol. I got to include the Spanish here, apparently. <laughs> right? There's distinction. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. What nation are you from? And that nation could be, I think, I, I, I'd have to check, but it's probably the word ethnos, which means a, a group, a, a particular group of people um, like the Scythians that I mentioned who are still defined as that. So before the throne, we'll still be or have characteristics of what it was that we were born with here on earth. So God loves the variety. But all of that is superseded by the revelation of who you are in Christ. And if it's not... And you see things from the, net, from the perspective of your nation. You can be influenced by the politics of your nation, the economy of your nation, and the social structure of your nation. You will be influenced by the social structure of your nation that these kind of people shouldn't be in our nation. As soon as you move into Christ, you don't see it from that perspective anymore because you see them either as a brother or a sister in Christ or as somebody that needs Christ. Isn't that true? How do we see people now? We love them, and the first thing you wonder is, do they know Jesus? Doesn't matter what color they are, doesn't matter what age they are, doesn't matter what church they go to, the first thing you wonder is, do you know Jesus? Am I talking the truth here? Right? Because the Christ on the inside of you wants to be on the inside of them. When that perspective develops in you, you begin to see with the light that shines everything so that everything you see is continually good. To the degree that you don't see from the Christ perspective, you begin to see things twisted off and the light that's in you is darkness. And that's why Jesus said, the day is going to come when even what you thought you had will be taken away from you. Stand up, I'm done. The only thing, I finished the message with this, the only thing that will correctly program the human heart and mind to think correctly is the word of God because it comes from a perspective that is above the human perspective. It doesn't come from people, it comes from heaven. So Lord, right now, we just come before you again. Let's, let's take a minute right here. Is there, is there prejudice there? Is there prejudice to another color? Is there prejudice even in your job? Well, how come that guy got moved up and I didn't? All of these things are your perspective. Lord, if my perspective, show us, Holy Spirit, show us right now. If there's a place where our perspective has been twisted up or, or maybe ever since we were kids, I said earlier, some of you may have had an abusive father and you're scared of authority figures. Go before the Lord right now and say, Lord, I want you to change that. I, I'm scared of bosses, I'm scared of police, I'm scared of pastors, I'm scared of anybody in authority. I'm, I, I draw back from them, I pull away from them, I, I, I think they'll hurt me. You need to take that before him and let him change it. Because authorities can bless you and strengthen you and help you. If you were abused as a child, take that before the Lord right now. <coughs> Lord, I open this up to you and I ask you to forgive me. I didn't know, but I took offense and I got upset. And, and, and I, I open that up to you. You're the only one that can bring beauty where there's ashes and where I've been burnt. Yeah. There's one little thing just came up right there. If there's somebody or a church or a group or somebody that you need to forgive... That, that hurt you or, or kicked you out of their church or said something or whatever, but I just felt that come up right there in my heart. If there's somebody you need to forgive, this is a great time to do it because forgiveness, unforgiveness will cloud your entire perspective. So Lord, right now in this place, in these few minutes, we, uh, we open our hearts. If there's something you're pointing out, Holy Spirit, 
we offer that up to you right now. Would you, would you come and fix that? Would you help me with that? I open my heart because Jesus' perspective was what's happening in the heart with that woman. And Jesus, your perspective is still the Lord looks upon the heart. So we open our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Also this morning, if, uh, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, by just praying that simple prayer that says, Lord, here I am. And, and actually, I'm just going to pray it right now. And if, if you've never made Jesus Lord, it's as simple as inviting him. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to try and accomplish something. He died to take care of the work so that you could come to him with an open heart. So let's pray this together. Father God, I come to you this morning. I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And this morning, I confess with my mouth that you, God Almighty, you raised him from the dead to pay the price for my sins. And so I give you my life this morning. Do what you want with my life. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be my Lord and to be my Savior. From this day forward, I will follow you Show me how to do it. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, come on up and see Pastor John. We've got a little bit of stuff we'd like to give you and introduce you to a wonderful new life. If you need prayer, there's going to be some prayers here. I release the blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up the light of his countenance over you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us online today. We hope you enjoyed the service. If you'd like more information about Southside Victory Church, download our app from the App Store, follow us on social media, or check out our website at svcf.ca. If you'd like to hear more from Pastor Craig, you can check out www.timesofrefreshing.com or follow Times of Refreshing on social media to see if he's speaking in a city near you. You can connect with the church anytime, give us a phone call, or send us an email. Thanks again for joining us in building a community of believers together. We'll see you next week.